Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Well, here we go, a brand new week on Political Rewind and yet another week when we're living in the shadow of the coronavirus. I'm Bill Nygut. I, I hope on this beautiful weekend, uh, sunny weather, uh, many of you were able to uh, relax a little bit, take a deep breath, and uh, enjoy what we do have, which is the ability to uh, sit in the sunshine. Uh, maybe not go to the stores, maybe not go to a movie, but uh, we do have had a beautiful weekend of weather. In my house, uh, we decided to put up the old family tent and uh, put it up in the yard. Not so much because we're going to sleep in it, but it was kind of a nostalgia uh, uh, trip. It We put it up to uh, remind my wife and me of all the old family camping trips when we'd have our children uh, sleeping with us in the tent. Uh, you know, Just looking for little things like that to try to find some joy in all of the difficulties that we're dealing with right now. We have a good week of shows lined up for you again this week, including the show today. In a minute, I'll introduce our panel. Uh, before I do, let me uh, tell you a little bit about the latest news in terms of the virus in Georgia. Since we were on the air on Friday, uh, there have been 1,298 new cases of coronavirus diagnosed here. That puts us at 6,742 cases, and that number, 1,298 since Friday, uh, is, is a, a little bit uh, startling, I think. We've uh, now had cases in at least 49 counties. That's six more than we had on Friday. Fulton County still leads with 970. Doherty County, though, has 688. We know that's been a hot spot. DeKalb County still has a great many cases. Um, and, and, and sadly, we've had 219 deaths. Uh, that's 43 more since we were on the air on Friday. Um, there's some interesting news, though, also about uh, testing. Uh, CVS and Governor Kemp have announced that they're setting up a drive-through testing site over on the Georgia Tech campus they're going to be giving tests that apparently will give a return within about five minutes. Uh, you've got to register in advance if you want to uh, take advantage of that testing site. Um, Sam, maybe we can put up on our social media platforms the website that people go to if they want to sign up for uh, the testing. I think that would be terrific. All right, the other news uh, that happened over the weekend and is happening still today, we'll get to with our panel. That includes, of course, on Mondays, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper, and he's already posted today uh, the, uh, the jolt, the, which is at uh, um, myajc.com, at ajc.com, uh, where you can read all the political news of the day. Jim Galloway, you typically end up working, doing woodworking to try to relax over the weekend. Did you manage to do, do some of that this I, weekend? I, I, I do. I think I got a pretty good bowl out of it, a bird's mouth bowl. I'll have to, I'll have to send you a photo all of right. it. 
Yeah. Would you do that? Because we, and plus, give it to you so we can uh, put it up on our social media. So I don't know what a bird's mouth bowl is, and maybe some of our listeners don't. So, yeah, let's see your handiwork, Jim. We'd like that very much. Uh, also joining us today, Charles Cook. Chuck Cook, one of the top immigration attorneys in the Southeast. He has his hands full right now uh, dealing with immigration courts and also some of the issues that we're seeing in the immigration detention centers in Georgia. Um, Chuck, we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But in the meantime, how are you surviving all of this these days, Chuck? Uh, we're doing just fine. I, unlike woodworking, I spend most of my time in the garden over the weekend. So that was, uh, that was my little bit of relaxation before getting back to the grind this week. Flowers or vegetables? What are you growing? Oh, both. We have uh, one of our, it's mostly raised beds, but one of the beds is dedicated to flowers, all the rest to, uh, to uh, vegetables. We have 48 uh, tomato plants in, about 50 pepper plants, along with almost any kind of vegetable you can imagine. We ate some of the lettuce from the garden this weekend with some radishes, and another, another few more weeks of weather like this, everything will be growing perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I it's great to hear people finding ways to uh, find some uh, relief from all the tension about the coronavirus right now. Uh, let's get started on some developments that happened over the weekend, Jim Galloway. Of course, late last week, middle, middle, yeah, Friday night, actually, the governor's shelter-in-place order actually took effect. And over the weekend... Uh, there seemed to be some confusion around the state, Jim, about exactly what he had done. And, and one of the main points of confusion is that the governor's order overrode any restrictions that local cities and communities put in place. They said those were null and void, that only the uh, state rules would be uh, in effect. And that caused some uh, some uh, irritation, some anger, some dismay in communities around the state, Jim. Right, right, especially on the Georgia coast. Uh, in St. Simons Island, uh, Tybee, uh, you, had, you, had, you had people stepping out in, uh, in, uh, in, 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 some, in a very serious manner to make sure that uh, people had uh, – that the pe- people weren't gathering on the beaches uh, down that way. Uh, and this, of course, opens the beaches up. Uh, I think uh, we we had uh, the, the uh, Mark Williams, the the, the chief of, uh, DNR, uh, uh, issued an order that you know that barred uh, umbrellas, chairs, and stuff just to keep people moving on that beach. And 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 it looks like it's pretty clear. But it's it's uh, it's it's one of these uh, you know you, it's it's uh, it's one of these disagreements uh, that. That that is based on where the power flows from. The other thing in that in that uh, uh, in that order is, I think, particularly significant, is that only sheriffs are empowered to shut down businesses that are not complying with the uh, with the uh, uh, with the shelter in place order, uh, and and. And that's important because these are 159 elected officials. Most of them are Republican. That means kind of means the economy stays in the hands of of, of Republican officialdom. Yeah, it's um, let's make sure that everybody understands what part of what you said there, which is that this order by the governor did reopen parks, state parks, and beaches. Um, in many cases, they'd been closed down. One of the most uh, uh, 
prominent examples of that over the weekend was Tybee Island, where uh, Mayor Shirley Sessions, brand new mayor, just came into office in January, has to deal with coronavirus. Uh, she had ordered the beaches in on Tybee to be closed because she said they don't have uh, enough people who could uh, monitor activity there or could break up crowds that might gather there. She was worried about that. And so she... Um, she was pretty outspoken over the weekend. She, she said, not only do we not have the resources available to make sure that people on the beach are socially distant, we don't have the ability to make sure that people are not gathering in groups of more than 10. We also do not have our lifeguards on the beach to help protect beachgoers. So we're in a very, very precarious situation. Our police force, we don't want to put our police force in jeopardy, our public workers, our firefighters in additional danger. And uh, so she says, Chuck Cook, that she was caught off guard when the governor ordered the beaches to be uh, back open again and, and was pretty outspoken about it, Chuck. Well, I think justifiably so. Look at look at the backlash in Florida. Uh, that there was a nationwide backlash against Governor DeSantis for not closing the beaches during spring break. It's not like this couldn't have been on his radar that this was going to be a problem. I think the other problem is pointed out uh, against one of our own state senators who went to his beach house in Florida carrying the coronavirus with him, and that also got national news. Uh, so it's not just opening the beaches, people going to the beaches from places where they might have the virus, bringing it to places that don't have it. It's a monumentally bad idea, I, and I, think it's, I don't think it was intentional. I think it just, they just didn't think about it. Uh, it was just one of those things where nobody gave a second thought to the fact, oh, by doing this, we're going to reopen the beaches. I saw the you know, in one reports that they just see about, well, uh, allies are supporting the governor in this. You know, well, you know, sometimes you got to say you made a mistake. Fix it. Uh, let's listen to uh, to the mayor of Tybee Island, uh, Mayor Sessions. Uh, one of the statements she made uh, to our Emily Jones of GPB Radio down in uh, Savannah during an interview over the weekend. You know, we, we just we don't have that authority anymore. We don't have the authority to put to maintain the restrictions that we put into place. And I think that's the most frustrating things when we're when our citizens are looking at us saying, can't you stop this? Can't, can't you help us? We're, 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 we're frightened. We have a very high risk community. Uh, we have an older population. We have two nursing homes on Tybee. We have one way on the island, one way off. We have no medical facilities here. We have no testing sites here. So, uh, Jim, I, I talked to the Mayor Sessions spokesperson over the weekend, and she said to me that, you know, Mayor Sessions was not looking to pick a fight with Governor Kemp over this issue, but she realizes that, that she clearly is at odds with him, that she really just wanted to make sure people understood they don't have what it takes to keep people from gathering on the beaches, uh, interacting in ways that could be risky behavior. But, but, but Jim... Um, you referred to the fact that over the weekend, Tim Fleming, the governor's chief of staff, said, look, people need to get out. They need to get some fresh air. They need to be able to exercise. Walking on the beaches isn't a bad thing. And he does make a point. It, and it, at a certain point, some of this has to do with how people themselves respond you know, I mean, we all have certain obligations if we're going to go walking on the beach that we don't gather in groups of, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people, right? 
Right. I mean, and it is a good bit about uh, personal responsibility. But if I could give you an example, out here in West Cobb, we have a, a lovely park uh, that has uh, that has uh, toilet facilities and picnic tables and uh, and, and kind of a, a master gardener uh, fenced in area. And the problem is that those are all surface areas that 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 can that can uh, be a, serve as a home to the virus for at least a good seventy two hours. So they've had they've closed the entire thing. And 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 we yeah, are and, we and are the, without a place to to walk safely without getting hit by a car. Um, that's Chuck. It is a <clears throat> difficult situation, uh, and and part of the problem becomes if the message from the state, from the governor's office, suggests that you should feel free to go onto the beach, walk around. Does that, in fact? make people feel more comfortable about going out and taking on other uh, responsibility, doing other things, going out and going to the stores. Um, it, it It's just a very tricky balance, it seems to me, Chuck. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky, but at the same time, it's, it's simple. Uh, if you really want to stop the virus, every expert says, don't go out, stay away from other people. If you're forced to go out to get food briefly, wear a mask, it's pretty simple. It does remind me, though, of the, one of my favorite quotes from the movie Men in Black, um, when uh, the, uh, the new recruit is saying, why don't you just tell people there's aliens everywhere? And, you know, people are smart, and the response is, a person is smart. People are panicky, dangerous people. Um, and, yes, people are smart and will do smart things, but in a group or when told they can do things, they're going to they're gonna go beyond that mark, and that's where the danger occurs. All right. So let's also listen. Uh, the mayor of Savannah, Van Johnson, was uh, concerned, too, about uh, some of the aspects of the state order that uh, kept him from uh, keeping in place uh, provisions that he'd announced that he wanted to use to stop the virus from spreading. So let's listen. Uh, Emily Jones from GPB Radio again talked to uh, Van Johnson over the weekend. Let's listen to uh, one of the things he told her. This in my mind, and this is just me speaking, is dangerous, it's irresponsible, um, and it is sad because we see our numbers. Remember, 19 on Monday, 65 on Friday. We see our numbers going up. And if a governor cannot see and just found out on Tuesday what we knew two weeks ago that someone who has no symptoms can still spread the virus, then maybe we should have had some discussions before you put an order in place to now put us in a situation where you're putting Savannians at risk, where you're putting Georgians at risk. So there's the mayor of Savannah, Van Johnson. Uh, Jim, uh, the governor did, though, you know, when you hear those voices from uh, people in communities around the state, like Shirley Sessions at Tybee, uh, Van Johnson in Savannah, uh, they want to be heard. And the governor, in fact, did add a, uh, a community component to his task force over the weekend. He essentially put together a long list of community leaders. We don't quite know what role they're going to play, but he seems to be aware that his task force needs to have some more grassroots kinds of people, don't you think? And and different kind of people. I mean, I mean, this is a. I mean, the the co chairs are are, are our friend uh, Leo Smith, 
kind of an often off and on again uh, uh, Trump supporter and uh, and uh, Bernice King, uh, CEO of the King Center. And the first I looked through the first uh, ten names on a sixteen member committee were all people of color. So there's 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 that. I, I think the broader problem is that right now we, we have a – I mean this – look, this this does get back – people don't like to talk about it, but this does get back to to, to America's polarization. Uh, and you have a group of, of, of people in one machine, one political machine, uh, the, the Republican political machine, who aren't used to talking to the Democratic political machine and, and, and vice versa. And – and they're trying to – they need to find a way to, to some common ground to communicate. You uh, point out in the Joel today that over the weekend, someone who gave voice to what you're talking about was uh, Mayor Teresa – former Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson, who, of course, is now running for the David Perdue Senate seat along with several other Democrats seeking that seat. She was on MSNBC over the weekend – And uh, she made this observation, Jim, uh, as you know, about uh, how she thinks Republicans, how what their mindset is like in a time like this. This is her quote. They, meaning the Republicans, simply don't know what government can do because they don't believe in the concept of centralized federal government. And then you have that same thing at the state level, first talking about the feds, where Governor uh, Kemp, Florida Governor DeSantis, uh, Kay Ivey, in uh, Alabama, uh, Governor Reeves in Mississippi, just don't think the state should be involved in this pursuit of the general welfare and public health of the people. It's resulted in this anti-government libertarianism. Jim, I would say that, you know, she's maybe overstating the point if she believes that Republicans don't want to take care of the people. But she does make a point that Republicans tend to resist uh, government solutions to problems and doesn't really like to interfere with local solutions, right? Right, and and this look, this was this is what what, uh, what Brian Kemp's internal debate was. You know, basically, how do you how do you how do you control a pandemic and yet the, the keep the economy on on strong f- footing? And, and, and that's always been his his emphasis has always been on economic development, and and this. Obviously, this this you know this throws a, a lot of sand into the works here. Uh, Chuck Cook, uh, you're dealing in an area that we're going to get into in a little while now, but I, I'd like to to start the conversation, and we're going to be joined by Fulton County Sheriff Ted Jackson, who's got to deal with coronavirus in his jail. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to start with a, an area in which you're dealing with a refusal by authoritative leaders to really take into consideration the dangers that gathering uh, in you know, specific places to meet uh, can be risky behavior. And I'm talking about the immigration courts. You're still, immigration courts, you told me the other day, have stayed open for business, right? Absolutely. Um, the, uh, what, the, what the government has done is shut down a lot of essential services. Uh, we need to get Social Security, they're closed. You need something from this part of the government. They're closed. But the immigration courts, the deportation machine remains open. So if you are detained by immigration, and currently there are about 53,000 people still detained by immigration across the country, including about 9,000 in jails here in Georgia, you still have hearings, which means lawyers still have to show up to court 
We still have to file documents. We still have to make arguments. We still have to get witnesses to court. Uh, and it's made it very difficult uh, to, uh, to do our work in a way that maintains the due process rights of our clients while also protecting ourselves and our staff members and our attorneys that work with us and the government lawyers as well Where is and that? the judges as well. What's the rationale for keeping the courts open? Who is ordering that the courts remain open? Uh, is this well? Supposedly, it comes down from the head of something called the Executive Office of Immigration Review, which is merely a, a, a unit of the Department of Justice. So it's really Attorney General Barr that demands that these courts remain open. Uh, oddly enough, and in, 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 a, in a strange sort of bedfellows moment, uh, the uh, Union of Immigration uh, Lawyers that work for the government. Uh, the union for the judges and the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the private bar, all got together and asked the, the leadership of, uh, of uh, DOJ to close the courts, and to date they haven't. They have made some concessions, uh, but the concessions have been rather strange, including here in our Atlanta court, um, where the government of the court took the position that you don't have to come to court. You can call in for your hearing, but if you're not in court personally, you can't object to the evidence presented by the government. Now, that puts you in kind of a difficult situation with your clients. Uh, do I risk my life literally in going to a court where we know that cases um, uh, are possible? ICE, uh, ICE employees have, 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 have corona. Detainees have corona. We don't know what's going on in the detention centers. Or do I say, oh, maybe that document won't be so bad for my client? It's, it's hey, a Chuck. very difficult time right now. Chuck, Chuck, are 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 uh, attorneys representing uh, 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 the incarcerated there? Are they still required to show up in uh, in uh, in protective gear, masks, goggles, and 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 gloves? Yes, they do require you for entrance into the building to have a mask, to have goggles or glasses of some kind, and gloves. Otherwise, you won't even be able to get into the court building right now. Uh, in court, the judge will allow you to remove those in court. But do you really want to remove them in court when there is no six-foot barrier between you, the government lawyer, the judge, and your client, who generally is sitting right next to you? Uh, so it certainly makes for a rather strange situation, especially when you consider that every other court in the country is closed, from the Supreme Court all the way well, down. Well, so, so, Chuck, that, the reason I wondered where this order came from <laughs> is it, it suggests that the Trump administration's ongoing effort to, uh, to deal with undocumented immigrants, to get them out of the country, uh, seems to be, uh, is, it, is that what's driving the insistence that immigration cases, uh, courts remain open, their effort to continue making sure deportations can take place? Is that your sense of it? Oh, that there is simply no other explanation. And because it makes no sense to endanger the life of ICE employees, ICE counsel, the private bar, and the detainees, and the judges, other than we have to keep the deportation train running on time. And also, to be clear, this is not just about undocumented immigrants. This is about all kinds of immigrants. On March 17th, uh, right as the, uh, uh, the, the COVID is starting to, uh, to really accelerate, ICE went out and arrested a lawful permanent resident of the United States, an Army veteran, uh, for a conviction uh, for drug possession 17 years ago and refuses to release him because he's a, quote, danger to the community, even though his conviction was 17 years ago and he's lived a great life since then and he has diabetes. And they literally 
are still carrying out their, quote, mission without regard to public safety or the safety of their detainees. Well, I, I, while I know the other problem that you're struggling with right now is what's happening to uh, detainees in immigration detention centers here in Georgia, but across the country as well. I want to turn to that and talk about that. But to do that, I want to bring into the conversation Fulton County Sheriff Ted Jackson, who is also struggling with dealing with COVID-19 in the Fulton County Jail itself. And, and I think talking about what happens to incarcerated people dealing with COVID-19 and what happens to the staff that has to monitor them is a worthwhile conversation. What we'll do is we'll get our first break of the show out of the way, and when we come back, we'll take up that issue. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind. Uh, Chuck Cook, immigration attorney par excellence, uh, Jim Galloway of the AJC, and now uh, Fulton County Sheriff Ted Jackson joins us for our conversation. Let me, if I may, start with you, Sheriff, because uh, we want to talk about what the challenges are for law enforcement in dealing with incarcerated individuals at the time of the virus and you're dealing with it, certainly, at the Fulton County Jail. Uh, Chuck Cook is dealing with it in terms of uh, clients he represents who are in immigration detention centers. So let's start, if we could, Sheriff. Uh, how you? The last time I saw a count, you had at least 13 of your—I th- uh, think it's inmates who tested positive— uh, do we have that right, or are there more uh, at this point? The number actually went up to 15. And of the 15, okay. um, well, 15 tested positive. Uh, that's what we have, and we tested 18. Um, 17 males and one female uh, tested positive. Uh, that's the latest count we have. And are these all inmates? Do you have any staff at the jail who have also tested positive? Are they among that number, or is it all inmates? It's all inmates, and we're really fortunate that no one on the staff has tested positive uh, uh, working at the jail. And we're mindful that we have to be really careful and cautious. And I believe we have the best medical care that you could have at a jail, so we're fortunate to have that. How okay? So you are living in a in a in a jail, whether you're staff or an inmate. The you're in cramped quarters. It's very difficult to separate people. Uh, how do you? What measures have you been advised by that medical staff you can take to prevent the spread of the virus, either to inmates or to staff members? I think before we uh, go there, we have to look at. Uh, our greatest need is to reduce the population. When you reduce the population, you have more space and you can uh, at least address the spread of the virus a lot easier. 
uh, earlier this year, we were approaching 3,000 inmates. Uh, as of this morning, we have 2,559, and the number continues to go down because on March 13th, uh, the Supreme Court issued an, uh, an order to all courts, all the districts in the state, uh, to minimize the population uh, to not address non-essential cases. So our chief judge in Fulton County uh, actually uh, reduced the traffic into the court by only handling essential cases, followed by the chief of the state court and the chief magistrate judge. Uh, that obviously cut down on some of the numbers of potential inmates that we would have. And we've determined that um, we decided to close the courthouse completely down because we had a uh, situation where an inmate showed up positive and we believed that it happened in the courtroom. So now everything is done remotely. Um, and when you drive the population down, you have a better chance uh, to stop the spread. Uh, we have a medical provider, NAPCARE, that's done an outstanding job. Um, of the 15 inmates that have been determined to be positive. Uh, they have a full-time nurse that comes in five days a week to monitor their temperature, to monitor them. We have a special unit set aside just for the virus. And what we do is we place the inmates in quarantine. Uh, those that have tested positive, we keep them together based on the date. And so far, all of them have improved and is not a spread but it's a real challenge because people come in and out every day. Well, congratulations on so far having had that success. Uh, Jim Galloway, I, the AJC the other day in the political pages, uh, had a quote from an epidemiologist saying that uh, his take on this was that the Fulton County Jail should release as many as 800 inmates to uh, help alleviate the situation. And, and as the population is reduced, I guess that this takes into account some of those people that the epidemiologist was talking about, Jim. Uh, uh, and I, I think to come up with a concrete number, you have to look at the nature of the cases uh, and each individual and what they're uh, incarcerated for. And I believe the criminal justice system, along with the county and the sheriff's office, are all working together to reduce the population, but we can't let people out that might be a threat to society. So what we're going through is each inmate, and we're determining if they're in for a nonviolent offense and they're not a threat to society, the court is working with us to give a signature bonds or a bond that they can make uh, to be released. But you can see this is a, an ongoing process. Uh, I think we've done really well uh, in one month. We've released at least 400. We're down 400 beyond, beyond the normal population that we've had for the most of the year. Hey, Sheriff. Uh, Jim, do you want to get of, in here? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, financial burden uh, does, does, this, does, does caring for, for, for more than a dozen uh, COVID-19 cases place with the prospect of the, that that number could increase? I mean, it's, it's, is, is the jail responsible for their health care at this point? Well, the jail has a the county has awarded contract to NAPCARE for medical care at the jail, and so NAPCARE has accepted the responsibility for this. And if the cost uh, does exceed what's been budgeted, 
obviously they'll have to go back to the county and make an adjustment. And the county, all of us are working very closely on this because this is a serious situation and we don't take it lightly. Chuck Cook, let me get you into this conversation because you too are dealing with the issue of what happens to incarcerated individuals at a time of a highly contagious virus like COVID-19 starting to spread in a facility. Uh, When you hear Sheriff Jackson talk about efforts to isolate population, but perhaps more important, to release inmates who they believe they can safely release back into the community. How does that compare with what's happening in immigration detention centers? Uh, it looks, uh, it looks uh, like the right solution for the right problem uh, and is exactly what the federal government is not doing in immigration detention centers around the country. Um, in fact, ICE has resisted the call to release individuals who are low risk of flight, no danger to the community, who are going to show up for their hearings. It's resisted the effort to use alternative means of detention, ankle bracelets, intense monitoring, which we know work and which, of course, is much less expensive than detaining someone. Uh, The other problem, of course, is the the locations where um, these immigration keeps their detainees. The Fulton County Detention Center is in Fulton County. It's here. There's medical care available. Uh, The Stewart Detention Center is, is... an hour south of Columbus, um, which itself doesn't have adequate medical facilities for the population that could be ill there. Uh, the Irwin County Detention Center literally is down uh, in one of, near one of the worst areas for the coronavirus. Uh, and, and look at Folkestone, which is down uh, south of Savannah, uh, again, not near any major medical facilities for care. Uh, so you would think that to, in order to avoid uh, incurring, one, massive medical expenses and, and trying to find the care for the individuals that might get it at those facilities, they would just release people who aren't flight risk, who aren't dangerous to the community, which they have done for decades. But they've resisted that. Now, there was a rumor uh, that came out on uh, uh, Sunday morning that ICE was planning to release from the, from the Stewart Detention Center in Lumpkin County two to 300 people yesterday and today. I have been unable to confirm that rumor, um, and, uh, and none, of the, none of my colleagues have been able to confirm it either. But I do know uh, that uh, the, uh, the ICE here in Atlanta has been sued on, uh, on Friday evening by the SPLC uh, for its continued detention of COVID-19 individuals in, both in Irwin, Stewart, and in folks in the detention centers. Uh, and that litigation is now sitting on a federal court judge's desk. Uh, and we would anticipate having uh, a hearing this week on that uh, through our friends at the SPLC. Uh, but when it comes to having to go to federal court to get the federal court to do the federal government's job, that's, that's when you know somebody's dropping the ball. And I so much respect the sheriff for looking at this from a holistic point of view, keeping the community safe and also not endangering more people uh, by keeping them detained uh, and getting out, the people out of custody that don't necessarily need to be there right now. Yeah, I saw a, uh, a letter Um, which was written by two doctors who uh, work uh, as consultants for the Department of Homeland Security uh, that they sent to uh, members of Congress, essentially saying the department should consider releasing all detainees who don't pose a risk to public safety uh, because if they don't do that, there's going to be mass spread of the virus in the detention centers, which only adds to the already difficult conditions that those folks 
have to maintain as law enforcement as well as dealing with the, uh, the detainees themselves, Chuck. Oh, exactly right. And we already know that uh, at least two guards, uh, two of the employees at the Stewart Detention Center have been diagnosed with corona. And uh, once a guard gets it, guards who walk around and freely through that detention center, you don't know how many detainees have it. Uh, ICE is not routinely testing new detainees they bring in. Um, uh, in fact, they have not talked about testing anybody uh, other than the individuals they suspect have corona. So they may still be bringing people into detention centers that have been exposed, uh, are either carriers or are not symptomatic yet, uh, when they easily could be doing a, a better job and a more effective job at immigration processing by leaving them out of custody and keeping everybody safe and just detaining people that are a danger, that are a flight risk of the community. Uh, Jim, I want to give you a chance to jump back in. I have a question I wanted to ask Sheriff Jackson, but I want to give you a first shot at something. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Sheriff, uh, I mean, what, what's happening within the, within the, the confounds of the, of the jail right now with the people who are still, who have you decided need to stay there? I mean, are they being given masks? Are they being s- separated? How, how do you, how, w- within the confines of the jail, how do you control a pandemic? Well, first of all, uh, the arrestees, uh, we're concerned about new people coming in. And so uh, the new arrestees that come in, they undergo uh, medical screenings. Uh, before they're booked in. And basically, we're looking for signs of symptoms. And everyone that comes in has their temperature checked, even employees, the staff, our visitors, everyone, because if you have a reading, and we follow the CDC guidelines, and a reading of 100.4 indicates a high temperature, and if you're a new arrestee and you come in with that, or an employee, Uh, Of course, we separate you from everyone else, and the people that are doing the screening have on their protective uh, equipment uh, so they don't become contagious. And if your temperature is 100.4, you're given a mask and placed in isolation and monitored more closely. Uh, We make sure you don't get into the general population. If you come in and uh, we don't test you, and you do have symptoms and you get into the general population, then you have the issue that you've already talked about. One person in the atmosphere like that can infect the whole place. And then our employees going home, it could be a real problem. So we're very conscious of that. And after the- Sheriff. uh, Yes. Go go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Okay, uh, and as I I said, when, if, that reds, uh, raises a red flag when your temperature is high. And then we ask you questions, the CDC recommended questions. Have you been in contact with anyone that does have symptoms? Uh, have you traveled to any certain places? And we have to rely on people to tell the truth. And if, uh, if you come up with positive in any of those questions, then we put you in an isolation unit and observe you um, 24 hours a day. Sheriff, I, you clearly have some bad actors in the Fulton County Jail, some people who need to be in, in jail. Uh, you've also, though, got staff members who need jobs. They need a paycheck, and they're all pushed together 
in a place where there is very little opportunity for social distancing that the rest of us are trying to practice in our day-to-day lives. And, and I wonder what the mood is like among inmates as well as your staff uh, every day. I, I, I can't imagine the tension wouldn't be enormous on people inside that jail. Do you have to go in there? Uh, and when you do, or are you hoping to stay away? Do, or do you have to go in? And when you do, how do you take precautions? Well, we all have to set the example. And when you walk in the door, even my temperatures will be taken when I walk in. So if you try to prevent it from coming in, that's a measure. Our employees are dedicated. They know what they're facing. And we don't put them in a situation uh, where it could be a a medical issue for them. We do the isolation, and we depend heavily on uh, our medical provider. The medical provider works with the local health service. Uh, We go online with webinars uh, continuously to update information. I think prevention is the main effort that we're trying to do. And uh, so far, you know, morale is going to be up and down because when you look at life itself and you look at the whole country, uh, this is a pandemic. And if you don't have any fear at all, I mean, there's something wrong with you. We should all have some fear, but we need to control the fear. And what we try to do is provide an atmosphere where we can control the fear, where we talk to each other, we look out for each other, and we get through this. Chuck, you want to jump back in? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 would be, it would be really interesting to know that our federal government was following these same strict procedures, but we don't know. Uh, ICE is not disclosing how they're testing. They're not disclosing how they're checking temperatures. They're not disclosing what they're doing to care for these individuals. They're not disclosing how they're quarantining people in custody. And that, the lack of information is the biggest concern among those advocates who are, who are concerned about our clients in these situations. And understand, Bill, when immigration lawyers talk about this, we're talking about our clients who are immigrants, but immigrants have historically been the canary in the coal mine. So if they're going to do it to an immigrant, you can be pretty sure that one day they'll be doing it to you. Uh, and that's why we need to be concerned about, about these folks to make sure that they are being treated with the dignity and respect in the same way that, that individuals attained in the Fulton County Jail are being treated. Um, and that's what we really want to know. Are they really doing it? Or because of the wide variety of private prisons who are in the prison industry to make money, uh, are they in fact not carrying out these and are they skimping in ways that cause a danger not only to people that are detained, human beings, but to those who service them and in those in the local communities in which they live? That's where our concerns are. Hey, Bill. Uh, I'm, one, I'm wondering yeah. if, I can, if I can just turn the conversation slightly since we've got the sheriff present. Uh, uh, Sheriff Jackson, you have now been empowered to shut down any business in Fulton County that isn't complying with uh, the, the with the, the governor's shelter in place order. Have have you been given any kind of instructions on on how that works, or 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 what the what the new rules are? Uh, we've been given no instructions. However, uh, we have um, sixteen police departments in our county, and we work closely with all of them. If we were directed to do anything, we would reach out to them and work with them because in each municipality, uh, they've addressed this in a certain way and they have their own law enforcement and we wouldn't want to duplicate anything that's already been done. 
and we have a great working relationship with all of them. And if we are ordered to do anything, we would first reach out and work with them. But but you're the ones who you're the one who has been deputized. They have not specifically. They they have not been been uh, deputized to address uh, actions of of, of businesses. Uh, they've been deputized by me uh, to work. Aha. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, before this came up, most of the police officers in our county have been de deputized by me to work in the county. So that would mean that if we needed to work together, they deputized de facto deputies already. Um, Sheriff, as long as uh, we've uh, gone away from the jails for a minute, as Jim Galloway just did, I'm curious, I, I, so far... Are, are you seeing um, any examples in the community? What, what's, what's been happening out there in terms of um, any kind of increase in, uh, in, in illegal activities, people, uh, are, vandalism at storefronts that are closed down, that sort of thing? Um, where do we stand in terms of crime right now in the middle of a pandemic that shut most things down? Um, we see crime decreasing, and we can also see it by the number of arrests, T's coming into the jail. Those numbers have decreased. And I think even the criminal element for a pandemic might be given respect to what's going on. And you're going to have some crimes, but not to the degree that we had before the pandemic. Interesting. All right. Listen, Sheriff, thank you so much for uh joining us for uh, this conversation today. It, it was really good to get your um, insights about what you're dealing with in the jail and the other issues we talked about. So, Sheriff Ted Jackson, thanks so much for being with us. You know, thank you for having me, and I think it's great that the public gets to know that we're doing all we can because at a time like this, uh, you know, you're sitting around with a lot of idle time and you think the worst, and we're doing the best we can uh, as a uh, as a county, uh, as a criminal justice system, and with our medical provider. All right. Well, again, thank you for talking with us. Uh, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way, and we'll be back in a minute with Chuck Cook and Jim Galloway on Political Rewind. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Um, it was interesting to hear Sheriff Jackson, Jim, say a crime had gone down. I was trying to figure out, I couldn't quite frame that question in the words I wanted to use, but he did it for me. Uh, crime is, seems to be taking a little bit of a holiday. Some good news coming out of this difficult situation we find ourselves in. Well, it's hard to burgle a house if everybody's still there, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I guess that's right. Uh, uh, in about 10 minutes, well, less than that now, uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is going to be holding a news conference on voter access and safety. He wants to reassure uh, the people of Georgia that his decision to hold the presidential preference primary and the general primary on May 19th can be done safely. Jim, He's going to talk about that. GPB uh, will carry that on our social media platforms. Uh, are we, Sam, carrying it on the radio as well? Um, we'll find out in a minute about that. Uh, 
They're not. It's going to be on, on gpbnews.org. Um, so, Jim, he's determined to go ahead on May 19th, despite the fact that he's getting pushback from a lot of his Republican friends, the Speaker of the House, all the Republican members of the congressional <laughs> delegation. But he seems to feel yeah, he's yeah. got to move forward. Right. He says he says that absent, you know, a, a declaration of an emergency by the governor, which, cover, which which would cover that time period, he doesn't have the authority to move it. I think what we're going to do, we're going to be getting a, a, a good look at what might happen uh, tomorrow in Wisconsin, where they're they're holding a primary. Yeah. They, every, you, the governor doesn't want to have it. The legislature is insisting on it. Apparently, there's a there's a state supreme court contest that Republicans really want to press forward with, and that's the kind of the underlying cause of this. But we're going to see how many people actually turn out to vote uh, in a pandemic. Yeah, you know, Chuck. I I mean, I'm one of those people. I bet all three of us are who show up for every election. We believe sure. it's our duty to do it, and we want to do it. I cannot, Chuck, imagine going to a polling place in Wisconsin tomorrow, no matter how many precautions I felt could be taken to protect my safety. Well, one of the one of the interesting thing is uh, one of the cities, and I think it was Milwaukee, normally has 180 polling places, and they shrunk that down to five because they don't have the staff yep. to do any more than five polling places. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just crazy. I wouldn't go out on that. But I think, uh, I think uh, Secretary Rafsenberger has done the right thing. He sent everybody in the whole state that registered to vote an absentee ballot application. I filled mine out on Saturday, and I mailed it today. Yeah, I'm one of those people that vote in every election, and I want to make sure I, I can vote without endangering myself. And my wife is the same way. So I think he has taken the necessary steps to push this election forward. Um, and honestly, why not vote absentee? Um, it, it's certainly an yeah. effective way to do it. Jim, the problem is that, it, that, that voting is a habit. You know, it's it's a it's it's kind of embedded and 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 forever and ever we've we've been uh, we've been kind of trained to show up at the poll. Uh, it's what's interesting that uh, absentee balloting used to be a Republican tool, a Republican control tool that that changed in 2018 with the Abrams gubernatorial campaign. Stacey Abrams really really harnessed. I think they sent out something like 1.6 million mm -hmm. uh, absentee ballot applications, and so you do have this trepidation among. Republicans about whether whether the dynamics are changing and then and, and that uh, maybe Democrats are, are more open to to voting by mail than than Republicans and that's yeah, yeah that, I, that's I, caused, I caused do some think, consternation. <laughs> yeah, I do think it was interesting that Nakima Williams said the chair of the Democratic Party don't cancel it, don't move it, just make sure that it's done right on May nineteenth. We are completely out of time. For today's Political Rewind, uh, Charles Cook, Jim Galloway, a real pleasure to have both of you here to start our week off, another week in which we're all doing the show from remote locations uh, around the state, actually. Uh, tomorrow we're going to turn a little bit different direction on the show. We have Passover starts Wednesday night. Of course, Easter is next Sunday. We're going to talk to religious leaders about how they're dealing with some of the most important holidays on their calendars uh, in the days of coronavirus and what lessons they think their congregants should learn from uh, the virus itself. Uh, that's tomorrow on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll see you back here again tomorrow.